0: This is the Data Privacy Detective. We're continuing our series on data localization and what that's going to mean for the world, for the internet or the splinter Net, as some people are calling it. And uh, we uh, today with me again from last time when we talked about China uh, is uh, Yugo Nagashima, a colleague of mine at Frost Brown. Todd, Yugo, thanks for coming back to uh, talk to us today about India. Nice to have you with us.
1: Thank
0: you. It's nice to be back. Well, India is not China. It's the world's largest democracy. It's uh, very different in many ways an opponent of uh, China, even on the the, the little border they share. But more generally, it's two of the great powers, the two greatest powers of Asia, some would say, and except for Japan, which is in a class of its own. But anyway, uh, we're going to talk about data localization today in India. So as we look at India, It's a population of about 1.3 billion people, very similar size to China, but a very different system. Uh, A democracy uh, with parties and bills that don't pass unanimously, a lot of argument back and forth. But on data localization, uh, that goes back a ways in India. Is that right? That's right.
1: So... When we talk about data localization, uh, we, we think of the laws that are being passed uh, post-GDPR. But when you look at India, India has already had uh, data localization laws as early as 1993 with
0: their- Now that's government. a long time in the data privacy business, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it is. And they kept on passing other laws in the areas of telecom and in, in areas of uh, corporate law. So they have a long history.
0: Yeah, and uh, the uh, Reserve Bank of India, of course, the Indian currency, the rupee is a controlled currency. So it's it's quite different from a freely convertible currency, but the RBI passed a, a law basically that the uh, financial data, the banking transactions of Indian citizens really have to be kept strictly within India. So that's one sector taking a very direct localization approach. Um, And then, of course, in 2017, we had a a ruling under Article 21 of the Indian Constitution by the Supreme Court of India, that data private personal privacy, personal data privacy is a fundamental right of Indian citizens. So unlike Roe v. Wade, they're not arguing about that. There is privacy uh, expressly stated in Article 21, and so we know. And what happened then? The, how did the parliament uh, react? How did the government react to the uh, the uh, decision of the Supreme Court? I assume a bill of some sort got it, uh, got drafted. That's right.
1: Uh, in 2018, the year after the decision, uh, there uh, the per, the personal data protection bill was proposed, and in 2019, uh, it was put to the floor uh, in the Indian government. And this bill basically proposes and set up the sectorial uh, privacy laws that we saw before, it proposed a overarching uh, privacy law.
0: Right, in many ways, it's similar, but different from GDPR, for example, consent is the centerpiece for legitimate interests or differences, but it is it would be, if enacted, a very comprehensive data privacy law, somewhat akin to uh, GDPR. And, um, it's quite interesting. Uh, what 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 approach does the draft law still not enact? And Some thought it might get enacted in two thousand and nineteen, but then the elections came, and then basically the Prime Minister Modi's uh, party was reelected, and he remains prime minister. So many people think that it'll probably be past this winter session. We don't know for sure what, what happens. But what's the approach in the draft law that we have to data localization, Hugo?
1: Well, the approach, uh, there's three types of uh, personal data in the uh, India's personal data protection bill. And the first is
0: the regular personal data, which could be transferred between
1: borders. And then That's there's- That's something sensitive...
0: like probably uh, an email address or maybe a phone number or something like that. Probably, we don't really know yet. Yeah. That's right. Okay. And then there's the sensitive personal
1: data, uh, which may be transferred between borders, but the data must be stored in India once the information is processed. Yeah, you have to have
0: a copy there, even if it's being, copies being processed abroad. Okay,
1: yeah. Right, and then there's a third, uh, critical personal data. And again, we don't know what that definition is. It's just in the bill. Uh, We assume that it's going to be like the critical infrastructure type of information.
0: Probably national Uh, security for sure. That kind of information, pivotal records, perhaps. Yeah.
1: Right. But with those personal data, that category of personal data, it isn't clear uh, as to whether it could be transferred out of India, even though uh,
0: we believe there will be some very narrow exceptions. So, probably whatever critical data turns out to be, if the bill gets enacted and then the government defines uh, that, makes uh, very clear what critical data means. Uh, that could basically only be kept within India, that's unless right. there are exemptions to allow it to, to get outside. OK, well, that's a very different approach, isn't it, to what we've seen from uh, GDPR, certainly, which has gotten away from data transfer, as long as there's equivalent protection in another country and so on, or from China, which really means that, uh, <laughs> no, certain things have to stay within China. you, you know, They don't mm-hmm. want to lose control of it. And, and this certainly has major uh, commercial implications, doesn't it? I, I, I know some of the India's business leaders who are not real happy. Facebook and Google and Amazon have huge shares of the Indian economy now. Amazon's the second largest retailer uh, in India. They're a great threat to, you know, why isn't it an Indian company An in India? A business leader like The head of uh, Reliance, Mukesh Ambani, has argued. And what is their argument? What do they say?
1: So their argument is simply that Indian data should be exclusively owned by uh, Indian citizens and stay in India. Uh, That's the approach because they're seeing companies like Facebook, Google, and Amazon um, collect the data, but then process it outside of India. Um, And they feel that this will be... um, this will boost the local Indian company's um, uh, economic benefits, right? Because if you have to process in India, you have to use an Indian processor, an Indian storage company. While if you send information out, the collection might happen in India, but all the processing mechanisms may be abroad. Uh, But there's a flip side to that too. Well, Um, there
0: sure is. I mean, India processes more personal data Uh, than any other country in the world. You have great companies like TCS and Infosys and many other BPO organizations uh, based in India that process data of people all over the world. Isn't it a bit hypocritical then to say, well, wait a minute then, (laughs) nothing should get processed outside of India.
1: Right. And again, uh, by creating the localization rules, uh, that would require certain companies to create a data center in India that may not have a data center, and once that data center infrastructure is created, who's going to pay the cost? Some critics say that it will be passed on to Indian citizens, and it wouldn't be that much of an economic benefit for India as a whole.
0: Right, clearly a protectionist reaction to what has happened with foreign companies uh, having a big role. Uh, In total contrast to what we talked about last uh, last time uh, in podcast seventy three about China, where those major U.S. companies don't even participate. That's right, or because of the great uh, firewall and the tech wall that uh, China has created. So India. Well, I guess we'll wait to see how the uh, the personal protection bill finally gets put into, uh, into place and then what critical data, is, how that's defined. I think that's what we have to watch out for, would you think? I would say so. Uh,
1: it would be interesting to see how India defines both sensitive and um, cri- critical data, personal
0: data. Yeah, and the uh, there's certainly been global reactions to uh, the protectionist sentiment, which one understands within India. Uh, every country wants its own people to do as much as they can of their own business, quite understandable. But uh, of course, then you get reactions, uh, certainly under the Trump administration and, and by bi- bipartisan basis uh, in the Senate, uh, wait a minute here, uh, India should be more like uh, Europe and the United States and create a an agreement that data should be processed where it's efficient to do it, where it's decently done and at reasonable cost. And the data should flow pretty freely, although subject more and more to common standards of what will protect data privacy. And what's your prediction? What do you think? So I will go back to uh,
1: we're having two systems that coexist and um, India is taking the data localization um, system similar to China, but for a little bit of different reason. Uh, as you remember, China was more for you know, protection of security, you know policing, control. I think India is more for economics, uh, while the West, uh, you see in Europe and what America, especially with you know, the, what the president and the US government has been pushing for is the free flow of data. So Uh, In the future, um, the two systems might coexist, but it might be that one system will win over another. And uh, my prediction would be, uh, I think, because the GDPR is relatively powerful, we might move in a direction of more of free flow of data. Uh, And I think India eventually will join the GDPR side and realize that there are economic benefits for having a free flow of data as their economy grows.
0: Well, and India certainly benefited uh, from it with the great rise of BPO organizations, uh, such as Tata Consultancy Services and many others. We shall see, but it's a a good example of how there is no international law of data privacy. Instead, we see nations uh, and regions uh, trying different ways, both to protect the privacy of their as their citizens and to protect their economy and their national security by very different standards. So uh, this will all affect our individual data privacy as well because hacking takes place across borders. And ultimately we need more common standards uh, for data privacy and for the processing and the controlling of personal data. Well, Hugo, thanks for uh, thinking about it. Next time, why don't we take a look at Russia and see what, what Russia has to say about data localization. As always, I'll close by reminding us all, protecting your personal data begins with you.